we'll pray, and then uh, and then we're going to dive into Romans chapter five and see if we can live in the mind of Paul a little bit today. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you that uh, we're doing well. We're all doing well, and that uh, your presence is with us. Holy Spirit, we just release all anxiety to you. We just we ask you to calm our hearts. Just bring peace that goes deeper than our understanding, Lord. I pray that you would fill every breath with your presence, that we would hear your voice. Lord, draw us after you. Jesus name. Amen. So unless there's questions or comments or whatever, we will begin. I'm going to be reading from the kingdom translation. Is that a question or a comment? No, we're good. Okay. I'm reading from the Kingdom Translation, which is a, a translation I'm having a lot of fun with. Um, it is a translation by my favorite theologian of the moment. I have different favorite theologians, every, you know, every couple days, it feels like. Um, but uh, my favorite theologian of the moment is the, the, the amazing... N.T. Wright. Uh, I love him. I love what I love the what, what he teaches about and uh, and and the way he teaches. And uh, I'm excited about uh, about sharing this with you. So uh, we we will read. Let's go ahead and read. Well, I don't know. Let's read until we feel like it's time to stop reading. From Romans chapter five, the Kingdom translation. Okay. The result is this. Since we have been declared in the right on the basis of faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Through him, we have been allowed to approach by faith into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. But that's not all. We also celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience Patience produces a well-formed character, and a character like that produces hope. Hope in its turn does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is all based on what the Messiah did. While we were still weak, at that very moment he died on behalf of the ungodly. 
It's a rare thing to find someone who will die on behalf of an upright person, though I suppose someone might be brave enough to die for a good person. But this is how God demonstrates his own love for us. Messiah died for us while we were still sinners. How much more in that case, since we have been declared to be in the right by his blood, are we going to be saved by him from God's coming anger? When we were enemies, you see, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. If that's so, how much more, having already been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And that's not all. We even celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Okay, we're going to step back. And I'm going to read that in, in the English Standard Version. I'm always, uh, I always want to encourage you to read the Bible with at least a couple versions kind of uh, close at hand, um, uh, just to hear the differences, because uh, you might catch subtle shifts in, in meaning and in and whatever. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a, a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay. So, uh, because we're starting in the middle of the book, we don't have time to do the whole book. Uh, so we're just going to do uh, maybe 5, 6, 7, and 8, maybe, depending on how fast we move. Um, uh, we're going to start in chapter 5, but I want to go back and I want to um, kind of give you a, a, a recap on on what's been happening in the letter up until now. Okay, in the in the uh, in the letter immediately in the in the chapter immediately before this, we've been in the midst of an argument with a fictitious Jew. Okay, um, and it's been all about. Uh, you know, Jews, you can't consider yourselves better than other people just because you're Jewish. Uh, the Gentiles have been have been invited in, and um, and but that doesn't mean there's there's not good things to your Jewish heritage. God's done beautiful things through the Jewish people and for the Jewish people over the last uh, you know everything that He's done for them. Um, but uh, but that doesn't make you as an individual a better person than 
everybody else. Uh, so recognize that you need God as much as any uh, Gentile does. And then he begins to pour, he begins to walk out this information about um, how God has manifested his covenant faithfulness in a righteousness apart from the law. Okay, the, but God giving his righteousness to sinners uh, by faith and not by works um, for all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. God had to do it like this because his, because his desire from the beginning was to uh, use to, to work in and through the Jewish people to bring all humanity back and connect all humanity together under his uh, under his righteousness. And so, uh, you know, and, and bring them all back into the in, into the family. And he wants to do this. Uh, you know, all sin has to be has to be taken care of. So uh, he has to he has to take care of sin everywhere that it is so that mankind can be justified and brought back. And he's always wanted to forgive sinners uh, and he has always forgiven sinners. But now he's going to he's making it available to to everyone and the cross makes it possible in in the cross he both is both forgiving sinners and also punishing sin uh itself so abraham and david were justified by faith god's the only only means of forgiving sinners is through faith in what jesus did on the cross so up until the cross everyone was justified by faith in what god was going to do and now because of the cross we are justified in faith by in in faith in what God has already done. Okay, so we're looking backwards to the cross, and they were looking forward to the cross, and uh, and and but it is the cross where all sin is taken care of, where the the claims of sin and hell and death are destroyed, and where our uh uh salvation our righteousness is accomplished by what jesus did so now the that's 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 our foundation leading up to this point and then paul jumps off into this new conversation therefore since we have been justified by faith i like the way nt writes uh thing puts it since we have been declared in the right on the basis of faith what what does the word justified mean Somebody give me the uh, Bible, the Bible quiz answer. Come on, somebody's got it. Yeah, I was never in Bible quiz, so. What does justified mean then? But do you know what justified means? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're. Come on, you're this was a. It's a it's a twenty point question in Bible in junior Bible quiz when I was a kid, you know. So you you just you just you know no that you're close, but the 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 best way to remember it, or at least the way that I remember it, is that justified is just as if I never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd, right? 
Okay. And so it's a nice mnemonic that you can use. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's what it means. But but it, it means you've been declared in the right. Okay. So, like, imagine um, that you, so, someone, someone saw you from a long way away. Okay. And they saw you um, knock this, knock a person down and take something away from them and like walk away right they can they're looking at you and they're going he just knocked that person down he just stole that from them what is going on but when they came to you and they got the 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 story uh and you're like no 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 that was my briefcase and this person stole it from me and I asked for it back, but they just ran away from me. And so I had to chase them down and knock them down and get my briefcase back. Well, now your actions have been justified, right? That's what the word justified means. It means to be declared in the right. In other words, no, 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 you were never guilty. It looked like you were guilty, but you were never guilty. And what Jesus cross did, how exactly how this works, I, I'm really still pretty, I don't even really know exactly how it works, but the Bible says it works. That Jesus' blood declares that we had never sinned, that we are justified by Jesus' blood. Okay, explain that. I, I can't. I can't explain it fully. Um, it probably, you know, it has something to do with the way that I, I don't even know. I, I, I don't know. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a mystery. It's not, it's not ex completely clear, but that's what it says. Okay. We have been declared in the right on the basis of faith. Okay. Now, part of it goes with, goes on this, this idea that we believe that God is who he says he is. And when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus proved that God is who he says he is. And we were proved correct in our belief in who God says he was. Okay, does that make sense? So that's a piece of it. But what that has to do with our sins is a whole nother ball of wax. Okay, and, and maybe we'll get into it as we move forward in this. He said, but because of that... We have been proven that we were in the right because Jesus died and rose from the dead. We now have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And anytime you see the word Christ, I have noisy neighbors. Anytime you see the word Christ in the New Testament, N.T. Wright is going to always translate it as Messiah because that's what it means. It means Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. <laughs> it's not, It's not. you know, Joseph and Mary weren't Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Okay? That, that's, not how, that's not how it works. The word Christ means anointed one, means Messiah, and that's, that is, uh, and so N.T. Wright always translates it Messiah, uh, which is, I mean, that's what it means. So, we have been given peace with God. Through Jesus, our Messiah, because we've now been proved in the right by what Jesus did. And through him, through Jesus, we've been allowed to approach by faith into this grace 
in which we now stand and we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. Now, somebody tell me what grace means. Grace. Pretty sure grace is the one that means you're given something that you don't deserve. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Mercy is that you're not given something you do deserve, like punishment. Okay. And grace means that you're given a free gift. Okay. And think about it this way. Um, like uh, we talk about... Uh, I'm trying to think of the something coming, you know, gratis, like, you know, like it's, it's the same word. It's the same, it's, it's got the same root. The idea is it's free. Okay. It is something, a gift that's given to you, not because you earned it or paid for it, but because it is free. It is something that is gifted to you. It's a gift. Okay, it is handed over to you. Okay, we talk about a gratuity, right? Now that's I don't think it's I'm, uh, when we, when you know I think I think people that are waiters and waitresses work very very hard for their quote unquote gratuities, but the reason we call it a gratuity is because we're not actually paying for anything; we're giving it to them because we want them to have it. Okay, that's that's. That's, that's what a tip is called, a gratuity, okay? And it's the same root word. The idea is this is a gift from me to you. It's something I'm giving you, not because you bought it from me or because you earned it from me, but because I want you to have it. And that's what grace is. And so Jesus gave us peace with God. That's the mercy part. But through Jesus, because of our faith in him, we have been invited into this free gift in which we now stand. And he's going to talk about more about what that free gift is, but that free gift includes the hope of the glory of God. So we're celebrating. We celebrate the hope of the glory of God. What he's talking about there is resurrection from the dead and inclusion into the ruler rulership of the kingdom of heaven. We have been invited into this place of, of uh, cooperating with Jesus in his kingdom purpose. That's what, we, that's what we've been invited into. That's the hope. That is the glory of God. And that's not all, but check this out. We also celebrate in our sufferings. Now, now celebrating in suffering is not an easy thing to do. Okay? And the only reason you would celebrate suffering is because you know what you're which, what's coming from it, okay? So, for instance, you know, people talk about uh, 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 it, it, over time, you know, and they're like, well, this is going to be a good check, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, well, I'm going to get time and a half for this. Well, they're celebrating and they're suffering, right? That's kind of what's going on there is, is they're celebrating. Yeah, I'm not excited about the fact that I have to work extra hours, but I am excited about the fact that I'm getting paid more for this than I than I was or like you're you know the a workout right somebody that is that is lifting weights running long distances etc that is not a pleasant thing to do but you celebrate in your suffering because you know the end result 
of that suffering. And, and, and Paul says, we celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience and patience produces a well-formed character and character like that produces hope. And hope in its turn does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, so this is where they're living. They're living in the place that 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 even when there is pain, even when there is suffering, okay, we our hope and our and our and our our belief that in, in our future doesn't come from what we've done, it doesn't come from our suffering. But even when we're suffering, it produces even more hope. Now he, he walks through this this really cool like process, okay? Uh, suffering produces patience. Pr- patience produces a well-formed character. And character produces hope. So it's this kind of step-by-step process. When we resign ourselves to suffering, we learn to be patient. It's not an easy thing to do. I have to tell my kids all the time, guess what? It's a good idea for you to be patient right now. That's that's what you're learning right now. Congratulations. Patience is a beautiful thing. Patience is a, a virtue. My mom used to say that to me all the time. Well, patience is a virtue. And I would, you know, kind of want to slap her when she said that. But she used to say that to me constantly. Well, patience is a virtue. Well, I, in other words, patience is has a value unto itself. But this idea that patience produces a well-formed character, okay, that as we suffer and and resign ourselves to suffering, that we learn how to be patient, and as we learn how to be patient, we are formed by our suffering not into a horrible person, but into someone that's more like Jesus. Okay, this is a this is a, a an idea that's kind of foreign to to American Christianity, <laughs> and that is that suffering is going to be and should be a regular part of a Christian life and walk. Difficulty, suffering, um, pain. It's a part of being a human. It's a part of being, and more than that, it's a part of being a Christian. It's a part of being someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. We learn patience through suffering. That's what we do. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to learn this beautiful thing. Patience is a beautiful gift given to us by God via suffering. Because there's no other way to learn patience. Okay, you can't be injected with patience, right? It's not like it's not like God has a I got a syringe full of patience here, and I'm just gonna give it to you. That's not that's how it's not how it works. It's not immediate. Yeah, we're that easy. Right. It would be nice, wouldn't it? But they yeah. always tell you, you know, don't pray for patience. Well, yeah, no, we should because patience is one of the hallmarks of God's character. Think about how patient God has been with you. Think about how patient God has been with mankind. Patience is a hallmark of God's character. Josh, you really need to learn to just lean into your into your fears and trust the Lord. He's good. <laughs> Look, sometimes, Pastor, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm already hearing the Lord tell me that enough. You don't have to reiterate it. <laughs> 
you know what they say when God says things more than once. You should you should start. Uh, I know, I know. You should uh, you should uh, start uh, donating plasma. That's what the Lord's saying to you. <laughs> the Lord has not told me that. <laughs> Are they even doing that during this? We don't have any what? plasma donation places up in Angola. Are they still doing that? I have no idea. It's easy money, honestly. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. That. It's easy money. Also help people's lives, but you know it's. Alright, listen here, like you get money, but don't make fun of my phone. Also, also help people's lives. Like. My wife and I used to do it when we lived in Fort Wayne because it's an hour of your time and, and if you do that twice a week it's like a hundred bucks or something. And you know, that's the money we would use to go on dates and stuff, so it was uh it was a nice way to just add something extra to our budget every month. Plasma dates. Plasma dates. Yep, we used to call it our blood money. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> that's perfect. It was like, let's go spend some blood money, right? <laughs> no, it was it was good. It was it was it was a helpful thing for us. It is good money, Ross. I'm telling you, man. Uh, it's definitely not. It's definitely worth it to. Uh, to go and do that, um, but anyway, uh, that's enough. That's enough of my my. I'll get I'll get paid a certain amount of money from BioLife for having this conversation with you, and then that's it. Um, <laughs> come on, needles are beautiful. Um, so, uh, uh, where was it? Okay, so patience comes from suffering. When we that is when we submit to the process that God has us on. Okay. It's when we submit to the process God has us in. And I want to say this to you, suffering, uh, a lot of times make, makes me the, the not best version of myself. Okay. Um, been walking through, there's been a couple disappointments in the last few weeks, just some, you know, difficulty, uh, obviously with everything else. And, and, uh, and so there's been some moments in the last couple of weeks when I've been really upset and really depressed. And I have to like tell my wife and children just to keep fair distance from me because I'm in the midst of process and I know I'm not going to be pleasant, uh, towards them, uh, because I can't talk about things right away. I need to I, I need to get through some stuff and then I can talk about it and will talk about it. But it but when I'm in the at the very beginning of that, talking to me is not going to help me or you. And so understanding your own process. But eventually we get to the place where we submit to the to the Lord. We submit to our suffering and we say, OK, God. All right. I, I And that's when patience gets produced. OK, is there in that moment. It's important to understand how that works in your own, in your own body, in your own heart, in your own head. And then he says, patience produces a well-formed character. Okay, so patience is a key, is 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 a key attribute of God, and patience is the gateway drug to a better, to a more Christ-formed character. Okay, because once we begin to to live into patience, 
then the other fruit of the Spirit can also begin to flow. And one of those is verse 5, is is hope. Because as we see the character and nature of Jesus being formed in us, we gain hope that we're going to be made better over time, that we're being transformed into Jesus' image, and that in the end, at the end of all of this, we're going to look like Jesus. And that is a reward all in and itself. And Paul says, and that kind of hope does not make us ashamed. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So, when we submit to what we are walking through, we begin to be formed into the image of God. And when we begin to hope that we will be transformed into the image of the second person of the Trinity, we live in the place of hope that we are going to be just like Jesus, that we are going to be resurrected, that we are being resurrected right now in the midst of this time. And the down, uh, the, the deposit of that, the down payment of that that God has given us is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit's the one who's doing the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the work. Well, this, yes, and I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> Galen, I think that's the kind, that's kind of the point of, of Master's Commission in the first place, isn't it? Uh, that, that characters should be produced in you. I mean, isn't that how this is supposed to work, right? That, that, that we're living in this place. It's not an easy place to live. It's difficult. And what you guys have done, all of you, is you have submitted to a process that makes your life more difficult. <laughs> you have entered in to the pressure cooker of discipleship. That's where you're at. You've been, you've been stuck up until now living together with people, a bunch of people. Oh my gosh, that all by itself, iron sharpening iron. You're rubbing up against one another, just, you know, sparks are flying and not the good kind, okay? It's, it's, you've all been put in God's instapot, my friends. You are being pressure cooked, okay? And that is what's going on. But I'll tell you, if you ever, have you ever, uh, have you ever hit that button? How many of you have, have had, you've cooked with an instapot or someone you love has cooked with an instapot? Anybody? Okay. So you know that all of us, that there's comes this moment where they let all the steam out. You know what I'm talking about? Like my wife loves to make uh, carnitas, pork, Mexican pork carnitas in the Instapot. Okay. And when she does, you cannot smell it cooking, man. You can't smell it cooking up until you just can't. But then you hit that button when it's time to let the steam out and the entire house fills with this glorious fragrance of carnitas. It's just like, oh my gosh. That's when everybody that's in the house comes walking into the kitchen. Just They just all get, it's like the cartoon when you get picked up by that fragrance and just get carried down, you know, to wherever it is. It's that's what's happened. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. If we ever see each other face to face again, I will have my wife make some carnitas and we'll have some tacos and it'll be a good day. Okay? Because her carnitas are fantastic. I'm not kidding. 
I will make that happen. Uh, if we ever see each other face to face again, which who knows if that's going to, who knows. <laughs> I'm up for it. Let's do it. I'm totally in. We did. <laughs> Carnitas are a gift from God. But anyway, so imagine what's going to happen. Okay, check this out. Imagine, guys, what's going to happen when God begins to push the button on you and this process that you've been in and the fragrance of Jesus begins to pour out of the instapot of discipleship that you're in. I mean, truthfully, think about it. As the fragrance of what God's been cooking up in you begins to be released into the world and this beautiful fragrance, this promise that God has been at work on the inside of you begins to be released to the world, everyone will know that this time has been worth it, that Jesus has been up to good things, and they will see with their own two eyes that God is a good cook and he knows what he's doing. And yes, you've been in the pressure cooker, no question. But God's been creating something beautiful. God's been creating something so worthwhile. And and it, now it's time for the whole world to see exactly what he's been up to all this time. Come on now, somebody get excited about that. Day is coming and soon, right? So, any questions on that? All right, we will move on to verse 6 if nobody has any questions. Um, not really a question, more just a statement. Uh, thank you for that. Because, like, I know you've been through Masters and you've been around it, so it's really, really, you don't understand that it's really easy to, uh, like, be so close to it that you don't see what's going on. Yeah. That, like, within yourself personally or with the people around you, it's really easy to be, like, like right up against it so you don't see the whole scope of everything um so thank you for that so it's, it's always really encouraging because like you spend so much time going and going and going and going and you just don't have a lot of time to sit back and either let someone else evaluate or right. like take time for yourself to evaluate yes. so it can be really difficult sometimes to be like man you know yeah what are we doing you know it's tough um, but I'm telling you right now, man, there's, you're going to look back on this season um, and for the rest of your life, and you're going to see that God gave you beautiful gifts uh, all in the midst of this season that you will carry with you for the rest of your life. That's just true. It's just real. And not just memories, although those are awesome too. Uh, but let your character is being formed and your character is so powerful. You just don't know how precious it is to be a person of integrity, to be a person that carries around the character of Jesus. You just don't recognize none of us do recognize in the moment what it means and how precious it is to have the image of Jesus formed on the inside of us. It is beautiful and powerful and you don't know how many future problems you have solved for yourself in this season. It's true because you've allowed God to form your character in this season. Because what I see 
when I when I'm out there and uh, you know I'm looking around uh, and I see I see people operating without they haven't gone through that pressure cooker and some of the lessons that are just in my bones because I did yeah. uh, that they haven't yet learned and so I'm I'm watching them try and process <laughs> without that gift. And, and I'm going, why don't you understand this? Like, it's almost like, you know, it's, it, yeah. it, and, and, and I, and every once in a while, I just come to the realization, oh my gosh, I understand this because I went through that season and they don't understand this because they haven't. And that's a beautiful moment, not for me to be like, I'm so awesome. No, but it's a beautiful moment for me to just reach into the midst of their suffering and, and misunderstanding and say, I know this hurts and I know this is hard, but I promise you this is worth it. And I promise you that if you continue to do what Jesus told you to do uh, and operate according to his, uh, to, you know, to, to his love and his grace at work in your life, that good things will come of it and it's going to be okay. And, and um, so I can offer comfort, but I can also see that man, the wisdom that they're lacking in this moment is wisdom that was gifted to me as a, as a gift, not because I'm a good person, but because I've already walked through pressure cooker moments like this one, and I know I can trust him. When things don't make sense and when things are difficult, I, I'm not being stupid. I'm being, you know, I'm making better choices than they make. Or I have no compulsion to make the stupid choice that I see them making. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. um, one other question. Whenever, so there's been lots of times in my life where I've seen people in that instance, you know, where I can recognize what they're going through, the season of life they're walking through, the trial, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I try and do just that, and I'll try and reach down and give advice, you know, give wisdom, because I've walked through that, and I know how difficult it is. Uh, and then it's just blatantly, like, disregarded, um, rejected, and, like, just not, like, I'm sure you, you definitely get that as a pastor. I'm sure you understand that better than anyone in this call. Uh, 75% of my job. Yeah. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you deal with stuff like that? Because that kind of sucks. It really sucks, man. You know? It sucks so much. Is the worst part. It really is the worst part of my job. It just is. It's it's terrifying to look somebody in the eye and say to them, don't do this. I'm telling you, it's the wrong decision. I'm telling you, you'll regret it. I'm telling you, it, it, just don't go that way. You're going to wish you hadn't. And it, to see them... But to know the whole time that you're saying it, that that's exactly what they're going to do, that they're going to do what you're telling them not to do. I can't tell you how many times as a youth pastor, I looked a kid in the eye and I said to them, don't go out with that person or don't get involved in that group or don't say, don't, 
<laughs> don't say that to your mother, okay? And <laughs> because I knew what was going to happen, and I could see six months down the road, and they can't because they're so swept up in whatever. They're either so angry, or they're so hurting, or they're so in love that they're going to make this stupid decision. And I know it, and I'm trying to convince them this is not the right decision to make. But they do it anyway. Uh, it hurts and it's hard and, uh, and you know, what are you going to do? You still have to say it, right? You can't just be like, they're not going to listen to me, so I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) You can't, you can't just be like, you know, although Jesus did say not to throw your pearls before swine. So I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some biblical precedent for that, but, uh, it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, but yeah, uh, most of my job is, is giving people really good advice that they'll never take. That's just true. Just true. All right. So let's go to verse six. This is all based, the hope and the importing of the Holy Spirit is all based on what the Messiah did. While we were still weak, at that very moment, he died on behalf of the ungo- of, on behalf of the ungodly. Okay, so this is this this beautiful. Uh, I'm going to read verse six, and then I'm going to read verse eight because Paul does his little ADD thing that he does every once in a while. Um, oh, it's a rare thing to find someone who will die on behalf of an upright person, though I suppose someone might be brave enough to die for a good person. In other words, you you know, it's <laughs> he's going. You weren't a good person. <laughs> And Jesus died for you. Now, somebody might die for a good person. Jesus died for you. And you're not a good person. And you weren't a good person. And Jesus still died for you. So you need to recognize what a big deal this is. But that's kind of a side note. So verse 6 and verse 8. This is all based on what the Messiah did. While we were still weak, at that very moment, he died on behalf of the ungodly. We are ungodly. That is the point. We we didn't deserve to have God do anything for us. We were still his enemy. We were still set against him. We were still incapable of responding to him with anything other than hatred and anger. And Jesus still saw us and still died for us in the midst of our sin. He looked at us and loved us and enjoyed us and said yes and gave his life for us. And this is how, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us, that the Messiah died for us while we were still sinners. Understand again, the cross of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of the love of God for the sinner. And Jesus died for a whole lot of people that will never love him back. Because Jesus died for everyone. Don't buy into the Calvinistic lie that says Jesus only died for the elect. That is the exact opposite of what this says. Jesus died for a whole bunch of people who will stand in direct opposition to him forever and ever and ever. Jesus died for a whole lot of people that will never say yes to him, that will never come to faith, that will never repent. Jesus died for them. He did it because he's showing his love to the world. So how much more, in that case, 
since we have been declared to be in the right by his blood, so we've been justified by God, are we going to be saved by him from God's coming anger? Now, I don't like this translation because just the actual translation is the wrath, not God's wrath. The word God is not in the original Greek anywhere. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I have a problem with adding words where they don't exist. When we were enemies, you see, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. If that's so, how much more, having already been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And that's not all. We even celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Okay, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the same thing he said in the first few verses again. Okay, he's saying you were justified by Jesus' sacrifice. In other words, you, it was, you were declared not guilty by Jesus' sacrifice. But Jesus has called you beyond the not guilty verdict from not, not that you would just receive mercy, but that you would go all the way forward into receiving grace. Okay? A gift that God is calling you through his, his mercy into his grace. Okay? How much more? Okay, so God is calling us we're, we're to, to, we've been, we've been forgiven for our sins. We've been justified. Okay. Reconciled to God. So now God's, God is, is, uh, we're, we're on God's team and we're with him and we're, and we've been given back our relationship with God that we should have had from the beginning. Okay. How much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And that's not all we celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So, that was the beginning is that we've been brought to zero. We're no longer considered guilty uh, before God's face. But now we have been taken beyond that, beyond just losing our guilt. And we've been pulled into partnership with God. We've been pulled into a place where now we are taking up God's mission and we're moving forward into the things of God. Okay, reconciled to God, how much more? So we are moving forward into this next thing, this thing that goes beyond the end of the world, this thing which is we are being we are being brought into the beautiful thing that God is doing in the midst of the world. Okay? Therefore, all right, now before we go there, because Paul backtracks now to kind of give you some of the of the uh of the theology of what he just talked about. All right, so before we get there, any questions on that? It isn't just that God forgave us, but now God has brought us into partnership with him, into relationship with him, into a moving forward as partners in the world and in the kingdom with him. Questions, comments, queries, posers. Okay, now Paul's going to backtrack, okay? And he's going to give us a, a Jewish theological perspective on what he just said, okay? Uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one human being and death through sin, and in that way death spread to all humans in that all sinned, 
Sin was in the world, you see, even in the absence of the law. Through sin, though sin is not calculated where there is no law, but death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over the people who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam had done. Adam, who was the imprint of the one who is to come. Okay, so what he say, what he says is, one guy brought sin into the world. Now you might say, where's Eve in this equation? Don't worry about it, okay? When he says, when he says Adam, he's talking about, because Jesus can't be this, you know, it, it, it's all about God could have killed Eve and given Adam a new wife. Could have done that. Um, he didn't. And Adam went ahead and and as the father, the head of the of the creation or of the human race, he partook. He was the first human and he sinned. And it's through Adam's sin that we were all in, brought into sin and death. Now, I want to talk to you for a minute about this idea called uh my brain just shut down original sin that's the idea okay it's a theological idea it's been around for a, a long time and it's an idea i have some huge problems with and it comes from this text okay and several others but it but this is one of the primary keystone texts for original sin can anybody tell me what original sin is. Original sin. Come on, somebody's got to know this one. Disobedience. Original sin? Well, disobedience, uh, I mean, yeah, of course. But the, 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 uh, the, the idea of original sin is a, is, is, it's a specific idea. It's not a specific sin. It's a, it's an idea of, of uh the of what's being described here that that because adam sinned we're all brought into sin anybody okay the the and i want to say it was uh i can't think of his name augustine I want to say it was Augustine of Hippo who uh, who really laid out this idea first, or at least he's the one who, who popularized it, even if it existed before then. And the idea is this, that we all carry the guilt from Adam's sin, that we that when Adam sinned, all of the human race sinned, okay? Because the Bible talks about and there's this idea uh, in the in the Old Testament mind and the Old Testament idea that because Adam was the first of us, that we all kind of were inside his body, um, in a way. Uh, that uh, and this comes from this comes from the way that they thought procreation worked. Um, they they honestly believed there's a reason why okay we're going to talk a little bit about sex now so just recognize the fact that you're going to maybe feel a little uncomfortable about this but their idea at the time was basically that uh that uh what happened in sexual union was that a man planted a seed in the soil of a woman okay and that that seed grew up inside her and then came to birth. Okay. So uh, it was really the child 
was the man's and not both half half mom half dad it was it was the 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 really life came from the seed of the man that was and that the woman was just the soil that was being cultivated Just the soil that was being cultivated to grow the the seed that man had planted. Okay? That was the idea. And I know that, you know, now we understand, like, half your genes come from mom and half your genes come from dad. And those two things join together and create a, a, a being which is fully half mom and half dad. Right? And, and so that's, and that's how this works. But that's not what they thought. They thought that out of... The man's body, he was taking a piece of himself and planting a piece of himself inside of her, and that she was the soil in which that piece grew into something else. Does that make sense? Okay. And the reason, and so they thought that uh, you had existed in a proto form inside your father's body before you existed inside your mother and therefore you also existed inside your grandfather's body and your great-grandfather's body and your great-great-grandfather's body all the way back to Adam which means that the entire human race other than Eve existed and even Eve because Eve was taken out of Adam's side which is part of where they get this idea from by the way um, existed in Adam's body that we existed there, that we were there in some kind of proto-form all the way back then, that we were in, in a way, present in Adam's flesh before, uh, you know, before we actually came to, you know, live now. Okay, almost like Russian dolls, right? I mean, it's like, it's like inside him, inside him, inside him, inside him. Okay, um... All the way back to Adam. That Adam was the biggest Russian doll, and that we are all just kind of like, you know, brought out from that, right? So that is how they thought about procreation. Any thoughts? <laughs> There's some other really interesting ideas, okay? Like, for instance, yes, I know, right? <laughs> Although I'm not, I'm just. I'm not really teaching you about sex. I'm uh, teaching you about what they used to think about sex. But uh, but uh, <laughs> now, they also thought, and this is... Uh, they also... Oh, my God. Okay. They actually thought that uh, the woman's hair on her head was... Uh, was kind of her sexual organ and that her hair kind of drew i'm not kidding that her hair kind of drew the 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 essence of the man into her body okay and that's why women were would cover their hair that's why women would would never cut their hair because the long, the more hair that they had, the more, uh, the the more powerful they were productively. Okay, um, and so, uh, and and so that's why the Apostle Paul talks about like women should cover their hair, um, because it's literally like that's what it was considered. It doesn't make sense, Caitlin. It doesn't make sense at all. 
They didn't have science. They didn't understand, okay? It doesn't make sense. It made sense to them. It doesn't have to make sense to us. It made sense to them, okay? And that's and this is how they thought things worked, okay? Which is why women's hair needed to be covered. And it was considered shameful for a woman to walk around with her hair uncovered. Imagine if you walked around with other things uncovered now, like things that we understand now have to do with, you know, procreation, whatever. And, and, and it would, it would be the, okay. The literal word that Paul uses for a woman's hair in the passage in, I think it's in Timothy where he says that women's hair should be covered. It's a word that has the same root as testicle. Okay. So, I'm not kidding. So a woman's hair was considered kind of equal to, uh, you know, a man's private parts. Like that's how, okay, which is why he was saying, cover that up. We say that kind of thing now, right? We don't want to see your booty or your boobs, right? So, so you know, that is the same thing. We would have, that's, that's why. And that's why like some denominations still to this day are like women should cover their hair. Yes, that's why Russian, uh, that's exactly why uh, people cover their hair still to this day. At least women should cover their hair still to this day in church and everywhere else because because of those Bible texts. But those Bible texts are based on a cultural perception that has nothing to do with with reality. And, and, uh, and, and <laughs> thank you, Caitlin. I feel so much better now. <laughs> so, so. And that's also why men were not supposed to have long hair. Okay. Now, every picture you've ever seen of Jesus with long flowing hair is not. Jewish men did not have long flowing hair. It would be longer than like, you know, but, but culturally it would have been seen as extremely feminine for them to have long hair, like down below their shoulders. They would never have done that. Now, they wouldn't cut it very often because they didn't have, you know, scissors or whatever. They would just cut it whenever they could. So it was probably longer than, like, hair we have now. Um, although men in Jesus' time, um, most of them had r very short hair because that was the style. Uh, in, in, that was the Roman style. Like, you've seen the, the Caesar cut, so to say. That's what they all had. That's what, that's what, that was, that was what was cool back then. What's up, Ross? So are you saying that the pictures that they have of Jesus um, that you see in, like, Goodwill, where Jesus has long hair, are you saying those aren't biblically, historically correct, that Jesus would have short hair as, be, as being Jewish? Jesus. Only Goodwill? <laughs> well, I mean, like, you see him in Goodwill. Maybe, long hair is only goodwill. maybe he's oh. only seen him in Goodwill. I mean, who knows? But anyway... Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying any picture of, of Jesus that shows him with long hair, like down below his shoulders or t even touching his shoulders, is not biblically accurate. Men of that time did not wear their hair that long in Jewish culture. They just wouldn't. It would have been considered extremely feminine. Now, it would have been, like I said, it probably would have been a little longer than like my hair now. Yeah. Um, but, but that's just because they didn't have the money or the time to have their hair cut regularly. And even when they yeah. did, you know, and shaving your head was equally, was equally inappropriate. Is that the story, is that how the story of Samson got 
to be played was when Samson got his hair cut. Well, okay. Like... Now, Samson's a whole other thing because Samson oh. made a Nazarite vow. Okay? And okay. Samson's hair wouldn't have just been unbound and long. He would have had it in uh, in braids, almost like uh, dreadlocks, almost. Like, they would have been because he would have had... It was a specific hairstyle that was showing that you were taking a a Nazarite vow. Okay, so that was a big thing. Okay. Um, it would have been very obvious by Samson's hairstyle that he had taken a Nazarite vow. And not just that he was letting his hair grow. I'm just letting it grow out. It's just I just want it to be pretty. Delilah likes it long. No, it's not No, it he would have been it would have been obvious that Samson was a Nazarite by his hairstyle. It would have been in either seven or twelve braids. I don't remember, but it would have been in a very specific um, uh, uh, formation. So, so yeah. So Samson. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Samson was different. Pa Caesar did not have a bowl cut. Is that you saying that because of the of Caesar salad? Is that why you're saying that? Uh, no, Caesar had very short hair. And yeah, it's just a thing. How did we even get off on that? I don't even know how we how we wandered down that tangent. The original sin and how you don't like the ah, whole yeah. idea of it. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to the Bible, right? Shall we do that? Um, okay, so uh, the the original sin, the idea is that we were all inside Adam's body when he ate the apple when he sinned and in in that way we partook of the apple ourselves okay that we had in some way inherited the guilt of adam's original sin that's why it's called original sin and that because of that because we inherited the guilt of adam's original sin we come out of the womb guilty not innocent we come out of the womb guilty. That's the idea. All right. Now, that's not what Paul says. I'm going to read it to you again. I've never seen a picture of Caesar with a bowl cut. I don't know what you're talking about. Vintage Jesus? I, I, what? I don't even know what that means. But no, I've never seen a picture of Caesar with a bowl cut. There's a specific haircut called a Caesar cut. And that's because in every picture we have of caesar he's got this weird like haircut which was probably a comb over to make sure his bald spot was covered but anyway um this is real just gonna be honest with you all right uh so where was i this is all based on what messiah did well da -da 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 -da. no we are past that sin came into the world through one human being okay that's what paul says sin came into the world through one human being and death came because of sin. So when Adam sinned, death came into the world and in that way spread to all humans in that all sinned. So Adam set this example and Adam gave us the propensity. We became a people whose nature had been flipped inside out, but that doesn't mean that we were guilty. The idea of original sin says that you were guilty from birth. You were, that was, that's, who that's you were born guilty okay which is this all plays into some of the calvinistic ideas of like 
elect and non-elect. Like they would even say that like aborted babies who weren't elect or would would go to hell because they have sin. The minute you, I mean, hum, humans are sinful because of the sin of Adam. Now, not every Calvinist would say that, but some would because of the idea of elect and non-elect and anything. That's I, I don't even want to go into all that right now. The idea of original sin says that we all carry Adam's guilt, but that is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that Adam started the dominoes falling, that when Adam sinned, we all we didn't gain his sin, but we gained a, his brokenness and his propensity for sin, and we continued to sin. And because we continued to sin, we continued to die. That sin brought death, period, to the whole human race. Sin was in the world, you see, even in the absence of the law. Okay, so then he said, then he he does another Pauline sidebar. Hey, sin sin was in the world even before the law was made. There was sin, even though people didn't know they were sinning because they didn't have the law. They were still sinning, and therefore death was in the world. And from Adam to Moses, which is the time in human history was there when there was no law. The law came with Moses, right? Does that make sense? The law came with Moses. And from Adam until Moses, sin reigned even over people who didn't themselves eat the apple. Why? Because Adam was the imprint of the one to come. Okay, so that's original sin. That's the idea. I, I don't like the idea encapsulated in those words, original sin. Because God's original blessing is greater than the original sin, and God blessed mankind and said, you are good. That is how we truly are. And sin came in and flipped our nature upside down, and we became inherently evil rather than inherently good. But God has declared goodness over us, and he's restored goodness to us because of the nature of, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, and so we are, uh, we've been given back what Adam lost when he when he disobeyed god in the first place uh if we are if we are believers in jesus okay verse 15 but it isn't as the trespass so also the gift for if many died by one person's trespass how much more has god's grace and the gift in god's grace through the one person jesus the messiah abounded to the many The power of God's grace has gone beyond the power of sin. And we aren't just getting back what we lost. We're gaining more. Remember what I, what I said and what the Apostle Paul was talking about earlier, that God hasn't just, given, hasn't just brought us to zero again. God has pushed us beyond the place where we were, we were sinners, but now we're saved. He's pushed us beyond that the 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 place of we're no longer sinners now we carry around within us the very righteousness of god because the holy spirit dwells in the inside of us and because we're being transformed into the image of the second person of the trinity god has gone beyond just giving us back our innocence and he has made us like himself this is what we're talking about this is what the apostle paul is trying to say the power of grace the gift that god's given us is a, is is life from the dead okay so we are being resurrected not just it's not like we're resurrected back to exactly what we were before we died we're going to be given an entirely new body okay with 
capacities and realities that go far beyond what our former human body could ever accomplish or or be uh the way that um the way that nt wright talks about this is he says if you've ever had a friend who had a long illness and then you go and see them after that illness and you say to somebody boy they're just a shadow of their former selves like they've lost a lot of weight they don't look good they're just kind of you know what i'm talking about does it have you ever seen that like somebody who's walked through like a terrible illness and they just don't look good right and you say boy they're just a shadow of who they were well this what god's going to do <laughs> is we're going to say oh no 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 we're just a shadow of what we will be okay we are just a shadow now in full health of what we will be in our resurrection bodies that we will see what we were created for and what we were meant to be all along when we walk into that place. And that's what God is doing. That's how we walk. And that's what God is up to. We get Eden back, but we get heaven as well. It's God's ultimate design that his dwelling be with man here on the earth. Not like it was in the beginning, but something more. Okay, so Revelation 21.3 says, says that uh that that god has tabernacled among men so we are going to be walking this is this isn't just eden we're not just gaining eden back but god's fully realized eden dream which goes far beyond what we have experienced in the past we're not looking back to the good old days we're looking forward to god's completed and ultimate future for humanity which goes far beyond anything humanity has ever experienced before and that is what jesus has accomplished on the cross and in the and in his resurrection any questions so when whenever someone is like you know quote born again whatever and before that, it's like we're inherently evil, right? Are we still inherently evil in that born-again stage? Because we, we don't, like, just... We still sin, but it's, like, not continuous because we make an attempt not to. So are we still inherently evil? Or, like... Yes and I no. I don't know. It's something I've thought about. No, I, I understand the question completely because it seems like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like not a whole lot has changed. But the truth is that if we believe in what Jesus has done for us, that there is a radical change which takes place. Now, that radical change may not be immediately obvious, but there is a radical change which has taken place. And that is that the Holy Spirit has taken residence within us. And as we tend to to the imperishable seed that that's the apostle Peter calls it that's been planted inside of us the influence of the holy spirit will then continue to grow we go from now that may not be immediately obvious although i have seen radical transformations that happen you know in a in a you know fraction of a second where somebody gives their life to jesus and all of a sudden everything gets turned around okay but Jesus talks about the possibility of things like, oh, you you know, the, the parable of the sower where he says you receive the seed with joy, but then uh, the enemy comes and steals it. So, so there's definitely some kind of a, there's a process 
and there is a I I I have a problem personally uh, with with any thought that there is like a moment where um, boy I need to be careful how I say this. I think there's a lot of people that have prayed a prayer that that the Holy Spirit's n- not necessarily at work in them yet. Does that make sense? <laughs> and that's that's terrible and might be scary for you to hear me say that, but but I I worry cuz I've seen so many times People come to the altar, they have some kind of tearful moment, they have an encounter with God. There's no question about that. But then two days later, they're right back into the life that they were in before, and there's it looks like nothing has changed at all. And and I'm not saying that they haven't had an encounter with God. I believe that they have, and I'm not saying that God did something in that moment. I believe that he did. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are saved I think if nothing has changed, then you're not saved. That's just how I feel. I don't. I think salvation is a miracle which takes place in the human heart. Now, I don't think that you're going to be automatically completely holy. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying if something about the desires of your heart has not shifted, then I don't know that you've that that that. Does that make sense? Does that scare anybody yeah. for me to say that? You know, I mean, like, and I would say to you, and I would say this to everybody, um, <laughs> keep pursuing God. The 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 moment's going to come. The, the time's going to come. And, and, it, and this has been, it's only been in the last, like, 100 years of Christian experience that anybody would say that just say these words with me and and you'll know for sure that you're going to heaven that's only been it's only about 100 years old okay the christianity has always understood salvation as a as a work that god does inside the human heart and that it's and that it can't be manufactured by something that we do that we give ourselves to God and then what God does, God does. Okay. And that, and that it's going to happen, uh, that, that, you know, like, uh, the, in the, in the, the days of the, uh, of the great awakening, if you read the way they talk about being saved, there's people who are, who are following God with everything inside of them that would, that would, they would pray and tarry for weeks because they wanted what they called the confirmation of their salvation. They wanted an experience with God where they saw a marked difference in their character and their nature, where something on the inside of them had obviously shifted. And only then would they confidently say that they had become a a born again Christian. This idea of being born again wasn't as cheap as it is now. 
The way that Jesus and Paul and everybody else talks about being born again, something happens. And it's not... It's, it just seems to me like we've made it like say this magic spell and then it'll happen and doesn't matter if, you know, I, 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 some, there's, there's something that happens when we're born again and we're not made perfect. It's not that we're never going to make mistakes again. Of course we are, but the life of God becomes imparted to the human soul in a way that is not mistakable does that make sense and if there's anybody on this call right now that you're going well now well now i wonder if i'm saved i love that question <laughs> i love that question i would rather you were saying oh god am i close to you than you were saying i'm good i don't need anything pursue the lord please if you don't have assurance in the depths of you that you belong to God and that God belongs to you. What are you doing? <laughs> Pursue him. Open up your Bible. Go after him. Don't stay where you are. Track him down. Pursue him. Go after him. And I would say this to you, if you had an experience years ago where you gained a moment of saying, you know what, I know that I belong to God, but now that's gone away, I would say to you, Get back there. Stay in the place of connectedness with God. Don't assume that just because you had an experience with God a long time ago, that you and God are okay. Continue to pursue him. God's forgiveness is boundless. His goodness is never ending. And yes, if you ask him to forgive you, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. But why are you living without a current experience of God? Why are you walking purposefully through a dry time? We're all going to walk through dry, dry times. That's normal to walk through dry and difficult times. But we're not supposed to like it. And we're not supposed to stay to, to be okay to stay in a place of dryness. We're supposed to, per, to push through those times knowing that there's a, a better time a time where we're going to experience God again more fully on the other side. Does that make sense to everybody? I just want to say that to you. I want to encourage you to do that. Thoughts, questions? So then, what's your thoughts about us, like, when ministry events are done and they take a quote number on who all got saved. I hate those. I do. I hate them. I wish we would, not that we shouldn't take the number. Of course we should. Of course we should. How are we going to follow up with them on the experience they had if we don't? But my problem, and I, I'm a pastor, so I have to fill out the ACMR every year. And I'm always late. Like, I'm always getting an email from the district office going, you haven't filled out your ACMR yet. And the reason is because I can't, I can't stand it. I don't like it. I don't like the words they use. I know what they're looking for, and I can fill it out. 
okay? But I don't want to tell them this many people got saved when, I, okay, that many people responded to an altar call. Like they raised their hand and they prayed a prayer. But does that mean they're saved? Because I don't know that it does. I don't know that it does. So if they worded it a little different, I would feel better. If they worded how many people responded to an altar call, if that's how they worded it, I'm in. Uh, I, I will gladly count that number and send it to you. But if they're asking me how many people dedicated their lives to Christ, well, I think it probably takes six months or a year to find out if that person's actually dedicated their lives to Christ. Does that make sense? I think the people who get baptized is a much better number to take to pay attention to. Because that is a more, not that they get saved in, in baptism, but uh, to me, you got to be pretty dedicated to want to do that. You got to be pretty sure that God's doing something to want to go through the baptismal waters. But if we did that, then <laughs> we would probably have, man, I can't. <sighs> Pastors who make this about numbers bother me. There's some pastors that if you made it how many if you, if you didn't ask how many people responded to an altar call and you did ask how many people got baptized they would make sure every single person that got that responded to an altar call was baptized like they'd be like okay here's the baptismal walk through it right like it would become drive through baptisms it would be because there's some people that are just wanting to have like numbers to show that they are doing a good job or whatever, or they want to be the church in the district that has the most baptisms, blah, blah, blah. I have such a problem with that. This is a mystery. This is, this is, this is something God does not that humans do. And we just, we cooperate with God in it, but it's got to be God. And it's not going to stick unless it's God. And it's not going to be real unless it's God. And if it is God, we can't stop it. I can't tell you people. I mean, I've met so many people that, that their lives were utterly changed in a service and they never saw that preacher or went back to that church again. But there's way more people who responded to an altar call in the service and then nothing ever happened after that. You know, the preacher was good at making people afraid that they were going to hell, or the preacher was good at making people feel like they needed to raise their hand at a specific time, or the preacher, I mean, come on, isn't that what we do? Can I tell you how much I hate altar calls at camp? Okay, and this is the ones I hate the most. The ones I hate the most are the ones that it's like this 15 minute buildup of like, when I say three, two, one, you're going to run down to this altar and I just want to smack people. I just want to smack people. I'm just like, stop it. Stop it. You are inviting people into a false experience. I don't want anybody. I'm not saying people shouldn't come to the altar, but what I'm saying is that, that they're giving people this moment that they're like, well, God must have called me to full-time ministry because I ran down to that altar when the guy said three, two, one, or I, or I must be saved because, you know, I saw, uh, you know, heaven's gates versus, you know, heaven's gates, hell's flames. And I cried and I was worried that I was going to, that I was going to go to hell. And so, you know, I, I, all that's, that's just malarkey. 
And I hate that we play those games. That's why we experience, Judah, that's exactly why we experience the whole, like, camp hangover thing. You know what I'm talking about? Where, like, I'm serious about Jesus for a week and then... I would much rather, I would much rather, you know, uh, uh, exactly, that they, people are swept up in the emotion of the moment and they believe that God is, that that's God, that that emotion equals God. And so every encounter that they have with God after that has to have that same emotion. And that's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. I would rather find a way to birth a Christianity that can survive depression, that can survive a feeling of deadness and emptiness on the inside. I would rather find a way to birth disciples who are going to follow Jesus even on the worst day of their lives and who aren't going to say, God has left me because I don't feel like I did at camp or like I did when I went to that Bethel conference or like I did when I... That's the danger and we talked about this before about uh, worshiping emotion over worshiping God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Emotion will probably should and should have emotion connected to it. Worship should have emotion connected to it. But worship is not the emotion. And the emotion is not worship. Anyway, God has begun something in us that's unstoppable, <laughs> but only when God has begun it. And God will do it. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's just truth. That's that's Bible. But we need to stay in because being born from above like Jesus talks about is worth the wait. Amen. All right, well we're supposed to be done. Uh I love you. God bless you. Let me pray for you and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, I bow my knees before you this morning. And I pray for myself and my friends. That we... would be rooted and grounded in love. That we would experience together with all the saints what is the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of this love that goes beyond knowledge. We might be filled to all the fullness of God. That he who is able to accomplish more than we could ask, imagine, or think. 
would fill us up. And that we would be to the glory of our God and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you all. Have a great, great week. I will see you next week, I think. <laughs> I'll talk to you then. Bye.